Welcome to We Are Chafee Looking Upstream, a conversational podcast of humanness, community, and well-being rooted in Chafee County, Colorado. I'm Adam Williams. Today I'm talking with Eddie Sandoval. Eddie might be most known as chef and owner of the Asian Palette, along with his wife Bryn. In recent months, he also became concert manager for the Surf Hotel and has been booking renowned performing artists for both its venues, the Ivy Ballroom and the Lawn. In this conversation, we get to know more about where Eddie comes from, his Midwest upbringing, and his young adult years on the East Coast. We talk about how food came to be a central passion for Eddie, though he'd initially thought he'd become a school teacher. He tells about the turning point when he really knew that he wanted to own his own restaurant and who helped him to make it happen. I ask about music's place in Eddie's life too, and why that's so important to him. We talk about some influential travel experiences in his life, including several months in Southeast Asia. There also was the fortuitous life change when he and Bryn chose to close the restaurant that he'd dreamed of and worked so hard for after 10 years in business. And they did that, as it turns out, only a few months before the COVID pandemic arrived. We talk about why and the how and the what next of those big decisions and the role that they played in serving the community when it needed it most in 2020. Show notes, including links and a transcript of this conversation with Eddie, are available at wearechafee.org, as they are for all the conversations that we have on Looking Upstream. Now, here we go with Eddie Sandoval. Eddie, welcome to Looking Upstream. It's an honor and it's wonderful to have you sitting here with me today. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for having me. It's been a real treat to listen to your podcast and see what your vision is for the community. It's been really a pleasure. Well, thank you. I, I'm so glad that you've been listening and that you are aware of the podcast and now that you get to be part of it. Yeah. So thank, thank you, you for that again. I want to start with, uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say we're going to set the table here, so to speak, as silly of a pun as that is, given the fact that you're a chef. We're going to set the table with this story. You have shared that you prepared a, a wonderful dinner for 70 people in a beautiful outdoor space this past summer. For those who are local, it was at the Meadows. And you have a descriptor that you wrote about this experience that I would love to hear more about. You said that the first hour of the event was held in silence, and you described that as being a profound experience, and one that even brought tears to your eyes a number of times. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious to know more of that insight, if you can paint that picture, and what the power of that experience was, and the emotion, and, and who was involved, and just whatever else you want to share about it. Yeah, um, well, we, we've been focusing our work on, on doing these kinds of events, and to be a part of that one in particular was eye-opening. It was really profound in a number of ways. Just to work with those folks, it, it was a group of people who do a lot of social justice work and a lot of philanthropic work. And within communities all over the, the country and all over the the world and 
They focus on a lot of different things, you know, helping communities with voting rights and and things like that. And you know, we, one way we we kind of heard of a description of them is that it's um, these these folks that are working hard to save our democracy. Okay, which I really liked. Um, so they come from all walks of life and really intentional work that they do. So just to be a part of their conference and their retreat was really special. Um, and that the dinner in particular was, it was such a joy to, to work with such intention um, in curating this menu for these folks, but also, you know, it's really important for us to work directly with local producers. So the entire menu was was made with meat and vegetables that are all raised in Chafee County. So we connected with a couple ranchers and a bunch of the small farmers here to to create this menu and to do it in such a beautiful space like the meadows was um, a really special thing for all of us. And so we set up this long table and they, they came from the surf hotel and as they were um, on their way, our friend who had organized this retreat had told everybody in the group that the first hour of the dinner would be in silence. And I've never really experienced um, anything quite like that. Everybody got off the, the bus and, and you could just watch. It was nice to just watch everybody take in the beauty of, of the property and, and really just be still with themselves. Um, and for us to to carry that the spirit of that, even while we were trying to produce this this large dinner, was it felt powerful. You know, in in my work, it's always kind of a feeling of of being in a high gear. You know, executing events like that, or whether it's a dinner like that, or or having a full service restaurant. And so in those first moments, it was, it almost helped me just stop and be still and reflect. And so much went through my mind and my heart. And really the biggest things were just having such gratitude for the opportunity and for the crew that I have to help me manifest these kind of this this work that we're doing it almost feels like with an experience like that that the silence creates a deeper more meaningful more intentional connection between people rather than if everyone would have come off the bus and it would have been just hectic and everybody you know trying to socialize trying to come up with conversation together or just continuing whatever work oriented conversations they had already had in the day or whatever the case is to slow down from that maybe frenetic pace, loud pace, whatever it is, mm -hmm. and actually sit with ourselves is 
there's almost a meditative and spiritual quality to that, which I would guess was, was the intention of saying, let's take an hour. Undoubtedly. Together being silent within ourselves. Yes. And, and especially with this group in particular, where I think the ideas are probably just constantly spinning and, mm. um, you know, so just for them to take that moment for themselves and just enjoy the beauty of where we live, you know, and of just being still. Um, it's probably not not something that a lot of these folks are used to, you know, coming from mostly urban areas. Sure, and feeling the stress of, of the big things they're trying to accomplish. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's a reason that I wanted to start with that story, and it's because you know, that experience in my mind, it represents some really significant elements of who I think that you are um, from my observations from afar. So here, here are some of my thoughts, and, and you can let me know if this rings true for you, if it feels right, if you feel comfortable with the words I'm about to use. But I feel like you're someone who cares deeply about family and friendships, about community, about people connecting. Uh, I think you're passionate about food and music, mm-hmm. um, intentionality was certainly a part of what your answer was there. And I think that that probably factors into your work and those passions as well and into those connections. Does all of that sound right to you? Does it feel comfortable and and true to you, what I just described about you? (laughs) Yeah, I I would say absolutely. I think those are um, some of the things that are most important to me and that I hold dearly. So to welcome a group like that with intention and with that sort of event and with the mountain views and the outdoors, you know, integrated into nature, the silence, you viewing it as profound and feeling that yourself as you're trying to work to serve these people Mm -hmm. who are trying to work to serve all of us as people. um, I just think that was a nice illustration. And I want to add just one more thought from that, which you have written and shared is that about that experience is that our minds and hearts unfold unforeseen creativity. And when you connect with good people, beauty unfolds. That Mm -hmm. was something that you wrote in, in uh, retrospect from Mm -hmm. that experience. And so I really appreciate those perspectives. I want to jump now to ask you about family, Mm -hmm. because I think that is, is part of what is important to you. And Let's start with with your family and where you grew up, which I think was on the East Coast. Is that right? Um, I actually was born and raised in Milwaukee, okay. Wisconsin. Um, so I'm for the youngest of three, first generation U.S. born Filipino. Um, both my parents are from the Philippines. They actually met in Wisconsin. Okay. Um, so we were. We were raised there on the east side of Milwaukee, and um, so spent my childhood there. Really wonderful place to grow up, and um, yeah, so really a closeness with my siblings and my parents. worked worked really hard to, you know, make a good life for us. My mom was uh, an OBGYN of over 50 years and my father went through um, a number of occupations he came to the states to work for boeing as an engineer so spent a lot of his um, early years in the states in the seattle area 
and then was part of the last massive layoff that that Boeing had endured. And after he left Boeing, he he had this idea of driving through all 48 mainland states and then ending up in, in Milwaukee, um, where he had two brothers. So he pretty much did that, and uh, he, he likes to say he just... He wanted to see every state, and then when he ran out of money, he would just end up in with his brothers. And so he he ended up in in the Wisconsin area in in the late '60s, and met my mom, who was doing her residency there, and was working with my father's oldest brother. So that's how they met, and they got married and. Um, in 1971, I believe, and yeah, had had the three of us and raised their family in, in Milwaukee. Okay. Well, I think my ego just wants to know where the East Coast comes from, because I'm pretty sure that I've read or known or heard from you even maybe that that was part of your story. Was that later when you were an adult, or does that just not exist and I totally made it up? <laughs> no, I, um, I got my undergraduate degree at the University of Vermont. Okay. Um, in Burlington, was really close with my sister, who was um, two and a half years older than me, and and I went and visited her. Well, she went to the UVM as well, so I went out to Burlington to visit her and just fell in love with that state and that school, and so kind of followed her out there, and so I got my my undergraduate degree in Spanish and and a minor in criminal justice. So really wanted to kind of get into teaching. So that was my focus while I was while I was out there and um, stayed on the East Coast for a few years after that, uh, moved to Boston. So I spent some time in Boston and that's where um, you know it, it was hard for me to find a a teaching job because I had no education background. So I had worked in restaurants while I was getting my undergrad. So I kind of pivoted to that knowing that I could do that and bounced around a little bit and ended up in this amazing restaurant called Rialto. Um, James Beard, award-winning chef, Jody Adams. They took me in and that was the place that inspired me to want to have my own restaurant someday. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering if food was part of things with your family when you were growing up. And so now we get more of that connection of what maybe got you started toward this life and, and love as a chef. Yeah. But let's still go back to family. What was going on there when you were growing up in Milwaukee? And what were some of those influences from your mom and dad and culturally and the things that you've carried with you to this point in your life? Yeah. Well, we actually grew up, um, my mom was working all the time. My dad spent a lot of time with the three of us. And as you can imagine, that's uh, a challenging role. Um, but we grew up really eating a lot of fast food and processed food and okay. always on the go. And so, um, but there was also elements of, um, you know, I remember eating my dad's uh, chicken adobo and my mom's punset. And so there's always these Filipino dishes that 
we were so lucky to have. And um, so it was kind of a mix of this, you know, these Filipino culture, you know, that always remembering, you know, my uncle making lumpia and like the national, nationally recognized dishes of the Philippines, you know, always having that, but then always eating the, the fast processed foods too. So when I was in college and, and then ultimately in, in Boston, it was when I was really um, kind of awakened to what it means to produce food for yourself, for others, um, eat a more healthy life, you know, have a more healthy lifestyle through food. And so it was really more in my later, my latter years where I kind of appreciated that okay. a bit more. Yeah. The story that I have read with your your background as, as, I don't know if it's as a chef or if it was just simply adventure, was that it involved travel, extensive travel in Asia. Uh, let's see, I have, I think, a list here of like Nepal, Cambodia, the Philippines, you know, a couple of other places at least. I'm wondering what that travel involved, if that was part of your interest in learning those foods, if this was at a point when you're like, hey, I want to be a chef and learn these cuisines, or if it was simply was a youthful, I want to go spend a few months or however long it was to just travel and learn something about that that piece of the world. Yeah, I'd say it was a mix of both. At that time in, in my life, I feel like it was the start of um, really seeking out food through travel. Um, I've always been fascinated by the world, you know, Travel has always been something important to me. You know, there's so much um, wonder in it. And that trip in particular was a few years after I had moved to Colorado. So I, I left Boston and moved to the Vail Valley. My cousin was the general manager of a sushi bar there. And so he, um, he talked me into coming out to Colorado and I, I lived there for a few years and learned, um, the art of sushi. And so it was, it felt like this cool trajectory of maybe I can have my own place someday with this really strong foundation and, you know, the French Mediterranean cuisines and techniques that I had learned on the East Coast and then learning this really cool cuisine of, of sushi and, and Japanese food. And so I felt like I was really building this strong foundation. And and then when it was kind of time to move on from the Vail Valley, I, I came down here with a friend to Buena Vista and it was something that I hadn't anticipated moving to to this area, but um, I kind of had my eyes set on San Francisco, but I just really fell in love with the beauty of the mountains here and could really feel the, the closeness of the community. And um, I just kind of always admired that, you know, being in, in Vermont and seeing the small towns in in that state and just how people take care of each other in, in these rural areas and 
So I moved here and there was still this transition where I was kind of helping out my employer up in in Vail and um but decided that it was a great opportunity to travel because of the transition. Um it's you know, we get into these routines in life where it's it's hard to carve out time to to get out there and and see different parts of our country or parts of the world and um kind of had this realization that you can really only do that if you're in a transition if you want to um take a significant amount of time and I really wanted to to be in Southeast Asia for as long as I I could be. How long was that? It was about five and a half months. Why there in particular? I was always just really interested in that part of the world, those cultures, um, the food there. So a lot of it was the cuisines. A lot of it was, you know, any, any, any one I had ever come across from Southeast Asia just seemed to be such a kind, kind and gentle person, you know, and um, I was also just, it kind of just unfolded naturally. I traveled with a friend and um, she had this connection to Nepal and this project to help build out a, a medical clinic in this Sherpa village. So I kind of just jumped on board with that and had this idea of starting there, ending in the Philippines to see family, and then seeing what would come of it in between. So it sort of just happened organically. Um, started in Nepal, and and then after a month in Nepal, the the natural feeling was to go to the beaches of Thailand to thaw out a little bit. <laughs> so, and then when I was in Thailand, I was just so blown away by the food and the culture and um, and then just felt really interested in in exploring that, that whole region. So popped into Cambodia and Laos and um, was really just so impressed with the food, but um, even more so the kindness of the people. So I, yeah, I just tried to extend that as, as long as I could and and then ended up in the Philippines and saw some family there. But it was always, there was always a thought in my mind um, to really pay close attention to that food, you know, because I felt like so- there was something there, you know, that I was going to incorporate that into a future vision. The kindness and gentleness is the energy that I feel from you. Now, I imagine that that's always been there and that maybe that's part of why you were drawn and noticing it and feeling it from the people that you encountered when you were traveling. But mm-hmm. tell me, I mean, was there some sort of conversion experience while you were there that led you this way? Because otherwise I feel like that, that is just natural, that that's who you are, is just a kind and gentle, chill kind of guy. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like my mom is very much that way. So I, I feel like... Um, 
I got that from her. Okay. <laughs> But it was really interesting to、um, be in these countries and for the first time in, in my life really experience this, this, this feeling of kindness, humility from, from a, an entire population. You know, we, of course, we have community here and we have family and friends, and you go, you can go anywhere and find these beautiful pockets of, of that here. And, but it, it was, it just felt different when the whole population kind of felt like that, you know? Yeah, when that's just the energy culturally in the society, how they, how they flow. Right. Yeah. I, I've been to Thailand a couple of times. I've, Spent a good amount of time in some different places in Asia. And I wonder when you were there. I, I feel like we might have been a similar era and experience in that sense. You know, for us, it was okay, the expense is if you, you buy the plane ticket over, but once you're there, a lot of other things are affordable for an American bringing dollars.、Mm-hmm. And that, of course, allows there to be this sort of experience of. Well, that's just so different than, than traveling in a lot of other places.、Mm-hmm. Were you in your, what, mid 20s, late 20s by then? Yeah.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you and I are pretty similar in age. So we might have crossed paths.、Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I thought you looked familiar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm wondering when you realized along your journey with cooking, with working in restaurants, was there a particular experience or time when you realized this really might? Be my future, like in the long term. This is really the direction I want to go. Yeah. I would say it was at least from you know, a, a romantic perspective when I was uh, as a, at Rialto in Boston. That was certainly the time where I just fell in love with the culture of the restaurant industry,、um, the camaraderie of, you know, The, your co workers and、um, the energy of being in a kitchen,、um, being in service, creating beautiful food.、Um, but that was, you know, that was from this perspective of a kind of dreamy line cook. And I would say the really the, the turning point was when I moved to Buena Vista. And I met a friend,、um, Barb Zucker, who had the Evergreen Cafe for over 20 years. And when I moved to Buena Vista, she, we had met quickly and she knew that I had always wanted to open a restaurant. So she kind of proposed this、um, idea of me trying out a concept within her space. So she had a breakfast and lunch cafe, and she let me use her space at night. So, you know, I kind of just took all the knowledge that I sort of had from, from all the years and recently, and also just had come back from Southeast Asia. So, and coincidentally, I had kind of asked as many people as I could in the community. What, what type of food people would like to, to see here? Because、um, there were a number of directions that I could have gone in.
um, with that foundation of food that I had developed over the years. And um, so, but coincidentally, most people had said sushi and Thai. I knew, felt really confident and comfortable with the sushi, but the Thai food was um, something that I had just been exposed to by traveling through that country. And, um, but I felt like, you know, there's, there's such beauty in that, in the simplicity of their food. And with having this strong background in, in French technique, um, I felt like I could kind of take it on and, and try it. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it kind of opened my eyes even more to how amazing that the cuisines of, of that region of Southeast Asia are. It's, there's, there's a lot of simplicity, but then it, an unbelievable amount of depth in the food. So kind of just went for it and was working out of the Evergreen for a little over a year. And then that was an in- incredible time in my life because I knew how to cook but I didn't really know how to run a business. And it was hard to kind of conceptualize, you know, opening a restaurant without that asset. But Barb taught me a lot on that side of things, you know, showing me the accounting side of things and and the service side of things. And so I'm forever grateful for her and for that opportunity. And um, But that was the springboard to try to find a space in town of my own and so in 2009 we found that space on main street and and opened the asian palette and in 2019 i don't know if this was if fortuitous is a word that applies or not but by chance you also intentionally and now with your wife as as part of this um, endeavor intentionally chose that you were going to close the restaurant yes and the reason I bring up the word fortuitous or luck or whatever it might have been is that, of course, we all know that a few months later comes the pandemic that ends up changing so much for so long for so many of us. But especially, I think, in the restaurant industry, mm-hmm. there was a lot of struggle mm-hmm. for those businesses, yeah, for all those employees, for those chefs, for those owners, everybody. What was it that led you to decide you wanted to close the restaurant for a while uh, or maybe indefinitely forever. I don't know what your intentions were in 2019. And then what did you do following that? Mm-hmm. Well, it was something that my wife and I had started talking about pretty much when our oldest child, our daughter, was born, which was in 2015. And we'd always kind of talked about, you know, as is this what we always want to do? You know, we were, I was working 60, 80, sometimes, you know, 80 hour weeks, sometimes more, mostly at night. But when you, you know, when you put that many hours in, it's, it's from morning to night. So that was when we just started to discuss, you know, will, will this always be the path? And we, we continued to discuss that over the years, you know, because um, she was, my wife was, was there a lot too. You know, we had some, some challenges with staffing, so she was always an integral part of the front of house. But there was a moment in there where I just needed 
her to be where the, the restaurant needed her to be. And so she, she learned how to become a sushi chef. And so she was um, working the sushi bar side by side with me. And, but, you know, it, it, was the, it was a dream of mine to, to build that, to start that. And so it was, it was hard to imagine ever doing something else. Um, we love making food. We love being in service. We created an incredible culture there and family. And so it was, it was hard to imagine shifting, but it kept coming back to family and our children. And so finally in, in 2019, we, we decided it was time. It was time to reinvent our lives and reinvent ultimately however it was going to look, um, our work. But we wanted the decisions that we made to revolve around our children and our family and time together. So at the end of 2019, we, um, we announced to our staff and then to the community that we were going to close the restaurant and that we were going to, the, the idea was to bring somebody in there that was going to thrive and succeed. And so we wanted to provide a space for somebody to start their own, their own restaurant, their own thing. So that happened at the end of 2019. And then at the beginning of 2020, we, um, we went to the Philippines, which was something that we had always wanted to do. I had been a few times before during those travels in 2008 and then briefly in 2006, but it had been 18 years since the last time, so a couple times when I was a child. And I really wanted to go there and bring my, my wife and children so we could connect with our roots. Um, the timing of it was was perfect. My mom was going over there as she always did every other year to um, lead a medical mission, and which she had been doing for over 30 years. And so it was really cool to join that. She and a number of doctors, nurses from the Milwaukee and Chicago areas um, would go every other year and see hundreds of patients um, in impoverished communities and give free health care. Um, sometimes they'd see a thousand people in, in five days. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in 2020, in January of 2020, it was the first time in 30 years that the mission was in my mother's hometown of Sarah. So it felt serendipitous to join her for that. So yeah, we were there. We were there for nearly three months, and we we returned the first week of March, um, about five days before the borders got okay. closed. That was a question I was wondering about. Was did were you caught over there? You know, how did that factor into things? I guess real quick before I want to talk with you about music too. When you came back, I wonder 
you know, what your intentions were with, I mean, livelihood, frankly, because you, your intention was to close the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like permanently because you were interested in putting another, you know, letting somebody else have that space. Um, But also then as your thoughts and feelings as the pandemic unfolded and there are shutdowns and your peers across the restaurant industry, but also locally, of course, your friends, the community members, like what you felt for them when you by chance had stepped out before what was coming came. Yeah, it was, um, of course, it was such a difficult time for everybody, for us, you know, to see the industry that we had been a part of for so long just really get dismantled. Um, we, there was some relief in in knowing, you know, during our transition that we were that our our Asian palette family had um, time to transition into their new and respective jobs and lives, and um, it was actually really nice to see folks. Um, that had been with us since the beginning, you know, kind of take on new careers or go back to school or um, things that they had kind of always wanted to do. Um, but there was, you know, always such loyalty to staying with us. And so it it was, it, it was comforting to know that um, people were, you know, were on a path to a supportive way. You, you offered a transition like you described came to you when you ended up traveling for nearly six months. Right. You kind of presented that opportunity for transition in life for all of your loyal employees and friends, however you looked at them, people you obviously cared about. Yeah. To be able to assess where they were in life and say, okay, this is the moment I changed to something and to pursue some of those ideas. So I, that's pretty cool to yeah. see that circle. Yeah. I guess I'd never... fully thought about it like that but yeah um yeah and when we returned you know it was um we had seen a lot in the philippines and we you know big focus was how can we how can we help a lot of these people you know um even from from afar and and then of course um you know it it kind of quickly turned within, you know, our own country and our own communities. And um, so when, pretty much when we, right when we got back, the the schools had um, closed. And that was, um, immediately we, we were thinking of the children and the students, um, you know, what what is going to happen with the schools closing, you know, the, the kids who depend on the meals and, um, and fortunately the, the school district was still had a program set in place to, um, to, to feed the students, the kids. And, um, so then our, our focus shifted to, um, well, what about the families in our, in our community that, where people are losing their jobs. Um, so we started this program with a few other um, folks in, in the community. 
and um, in collaboration with the school district and the Chamber of Commerce was involved as well. But we kind of looked at the fact that we had a space um, to produce food. And so we were, our focus was how do we help people in our community? And um, the district, the school district helped build this program. We called it Supper Support. And they contributed a lot of money. We got a grant as well. And then there were a tremendous amount of private donations from people in the community. So we had all this funding to start this project, which um, kind of, it ultimately um, became a number of things, but it was a way to feed families that were in need, but also, um, so we would put together boxes um, and through the school we would kind of connect with the families that were really struggling with um, food and resources. So that was one aspect of it. And then um, the other one was to take that money and cycle it into the restaurants. So we um, were paying restaurants to produce meals for folks who were in need. So we would, um, you know, typically each time um, we would feed 120 people each each time, and a lot of a lot of that was um, meals that the, that the participating restaurants would would create. Okay, so it's a pretty cool program and help, yeah. helped a lot of people. Yeah, I, I hadn't I hadn't known about that that story. Uh, my family we moved here a year almost a year into the pandemic, mm-hmm. and so weren't here when those things were um, were happening, maybe. Mm-hmm. At least not when they started. I want to talk with you about music now because I know that's another passion for you um, and that you recently, well, at least within recent months, also became the concert manager for the Surf Hotel and for the venues uh, related to that, like the Ivy Ballroom. It, does that also include for the lawn, for summer concerts, uh, or things that happen at... The Meadows, like we just had Billy Strings and his Renewal Festival here. Are you involved in all of those venues and, and aspects? More so the, the Surf Hotel events. Um, Does that include the lawn? Yes. Okay, so the lawn and the Ivy Ballroom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the event in the Meadows um, was put on by a, a different production company. That's associated with Billy? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Okay. I want to ask about your interest in music yeah. and where that comes from. Like, is there a, do you play instruments? Was there a particular time in your life where that fire kind of got lit or someone influential in your life, maybe like your sister who you followed to college or if it was your parents or just friends or what it was that turned you on to a, a genre or music as a whole or whatever? Yeah, I would say that music has... I think since the beginning has always been um, at the core of who I am. Um, it's interesting to hear, you know, my mom talk about 
when I was a little toddler, you know, listening to my grandmother play the piano and, um, and sometimes I'd be the only one in the room and then she would leave the room and I would then go to the piano and try to play by ear what, what she was playing. And, um, yeah, my mom loves reminiscing about that because, you know, from the other room, they, they were wondering like, what, who is that in there? And they, they go in there and the little (laughs) two year old Eddie is in there trying to replicate what his grandmother just played. And, um, but I, I feel like, you know, there's, there have been some very specific instances of, um, you know, these very visceral experiences with music, um, from my teenage years and it still continued to this day, you know, um, seeing so many legends of, of different genres and, um, I spent, I spent a semester in Spain when I was in college and, and saw Paco de Lucia in, um, this theater in Sevilla. And, um, it was just, this incredible experience that just felt so emotional. It, it felt so cultural and, um, but just to see these masters of their, of their trade and playing music that was new, you know, but also celebrating music from the late 18th century. And I've had a number of, experiences like that seeing you know del mccory and john mclaughlin and buddy guy and all the you know all these legends of their of their genres um and yeah it's just always been something that's been such a such a deep part of me yeah it's it is visceral um and these things that that move our soul move our bodies and now you have this role with the surf and with, I think, this amazing venue. Between, between the Ivy Ballroom and, and the lawn, Like it's incredible that we have this in town. And I think even more so, who is drawn, like mm-hmm. the level of artists that are drawn to this small, rural, central Colorado mountain town mm-hmm. to perform. So, for example, I, I saw recently that coming up in uh, in December – there is a Grammy award-winning R&B artist, mm-hmm. right? I mean, coming to this little town. In November, there's the 50 Years of Hip Hop event mm-hmm. with multiple artists, but I actually have had an opportunity to talk with uh, Big Samir from The Reminders. He and his wife, Asia Black, they are the duo of The Reminders, and they're going to be here for that. I mean, these are people who travel and tour the world performing, mm-hmm. and yet they come to our little town. So one of my curiosities that has, has been burning for a while, so I'm really glad to be able to ask you this, is what it is that draws these artists to come past the front range, to to travel past Denver, outside of Colorado Springs. They come past Red Rocks Amphitheater that's famous uh, you know, in the Denver area to come to this small town of a few thousand people and be like, yeah, you know, like Billy Strings. Mm-hmm. He brings a festival here. 
Yeah. I mean, we know why the place is amazing, but do you have a sense, do you get feedback from these artists on what's amazing to them as traveling performers mm-hmm. to make the effort to come to this place? Yeah. Um, well, I think I could say as an artist, you know, these folks just want anybody and everybody to listen to what they have to offer creatively. And so it's pretty um, interesting to see how large of an industry it is, but also how small it is and the word of mouth that travels quickly about, in, in this case in particular, you know, we have just a premier set of venues in central Colorado. So if somebody wants to kind of get out past the Denver Boulder area, they want to see the Rockies and they want to share their music. They look for these places that can, that can provide a good space. And so along with the belly up and, um, you know, what we're doing, what the Lariat is doing, and, you know, our friends down in Salida um, at Stoke, you know, it's it's a pretty amazing place to host music. Clearly, the the musicians will come here and, and see the beauty of these mountains, and then, you know, when they're just treated with such grace and hospitality at the Surf Hotel... Um, I think that gets shared amongst their peers. So, yeah, it's it's pretty cool thing to be a part of. You know, I think those first years it was hard. You know, they they were cold calling artists to come try to play at these venues, and and now we've shown um, people in the industry that this is really a special place to to come and perform. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and I'm grateful for it as somebody who's here and, you know, gets to to even just take a walk along the river yeah. with my wife while there's a concert at the lawn. Like, it's just, it, it permeates the, the vibe of the town when these artists are here yeah. and performing. So I appreciate that that's there. I appreciate the venues. And now your role in in booking artists and, and leading the way here. Yeah. It's amazing. It's it's really cool to to be a part of it and you know music in my opinion is is one of those things that can really bring people together you know through the the feelings that culminate with it you know joy happiness and wonder through this beautiful art form it's really awesome to be a part of it and you know for me personally i've i've listened I've always listened to older, older music, you know, music from the 20s and 30s and the 60s and the 70s and um, kind of get stuck on, on that for the most of my life. And now to be in this role to, you know, really explore um, what's out there, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing to have my eyes open. It's like this awakening of, of all these hardworking artists who who are putting such such great music out all over the place. So to share that with, with people in this community is is 
I'm really grateful for that. Eddie, I appreciate all of this. I appreciate who you are, your passions that you bring to food and music and community. Thank you again for coming in here. It's been an honor to talk with you. Thank you, Adam. Um, Thank you for everything you do and in connecting our community with this thoughtful and insightful vision and project that you have. And it's a real pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for listening to the We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast. If our conversation here today sparks curiosity for you, you can learn more in this episode's show notes at wearechafee.org. If you have comments or know someone in Chafee County, Colorado, who I should consider talking with on the podcast, you can email us at info at We invite you to rate and review the We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use with that functionality. We also invite you to tell others about the Looking Upstream podcast. Help us to keep growing community and connection through conversation. Once again, I'm Adam Williams, host, producer, and photographer. John Prey is engineer and producer. Thank you to Cahan 106.9 FM, our community radio partner in Salida, Colorado. To Heather Gorby for graphic and web design. To Andrea Carlstrom, director of Chavy County Public Health and Environment. And to Lisa Martin, community advocacy coordinator for the We Are Chafee Storytelling Initiative. The We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast is a collaboration with the Chafee County Department of Public Health and the Chafee Housing Authority, and it's supported by the Colorado Public Health and Environment Office of Health Disparities. You can learn more about the Looking Upstream podcast and related storytelling initiatives at wearechafee.org and on Instagram and Facebook at wearechafee. Lastly, until the next episode, as we say here at We Are Chafee, share stories, make change.